we know that dance is healing. We know that it's been around since the beginning of time, right? And there's some universality in expressing ourselves through unspoken word and just letting our bodies do the talking. So I think at the heart of it, that is why it's necessary. And like you mentioned, it's undervalued. Mm -hmm. We see it as an aesthetic. We see the body as adjunct, but we're really talking about bringing 80 plus percent, I think 93% actually of our communication into the therapy space. Because such a small percentage of how we express ourselves is through tone and actual words. And yet when you're in a traditional talk therapy setting, that's what's valued most. But our words and our minds can contort reality. We can talk ourselves out of things. The body is where we hold our truth. The body knows everything. Welcome to this thing called movement. Brought to you by Ivolna, hosted by Marie Janicek. Hello, hello, everyone. It is so good to be back on the airwaves with you all again and to be presenting the 43rd episode of the This Thing Called Movement podcast, this really special container where we take the time to explore and excavate the multifaceted benefits of movement and especially diving into a lot of those unseen or unspoken ways that movement transforms and heals us. Now, as I'm sure you've noticed, we took a brief hiatus from recording and releasing episodes the past few months, and this was largely due to finalizing and launching our brand new Evolna online digital studio. And Natasha and I are both thrilled to announce that she is live, she is kicking, and she's already creating some incredibly transformational results for our first slew of users. This has been an immense labor of love on both of our ends, me for most of my life. And so it is such an incredible pleasure and honor to be able to share the th- practice that was so near, so dear to my heart that has changed my life in so many ways and to be able to extend it and bring it to people far and wide across the world from any background and any level of experience. And we would really love to have you. So if you're interested, please come on there, join us, let's move, let's play, let's explore and begin to tap deeper into all the ways that movement can change our lives from the inside out. Head to the link in our bio to sign up for a free, risk-free 14-day trial. If for whatever reason, it's just not feeling like the right thing for you, we also send a little notification before the end of your trial period so you can cancel your subscription before you actually get charged. But I think you're going to want to stay. I think you're going to be really delightfully surprised with the magic we've created here. And on that note, we want to offer you guys a really special discount for the month of May where you can sign up for any subscription option, whether that's monthly, quarterly, or annual, and get 20% off. So use the code EVOLNA20. That's EVOLNA, all caps, 220 at checkout to secure that discount on whichever option you choose. 
We'd love to have you join us to come, to play, to move, to explore, and to just tap into your body in new and exciting ways. On that note, I'm really excited about today's episode because we're digging right into the core of our theme for this month, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. And as I'm sure you all have already picked up on, mental health is such a pivotal point of focus for us at Evolna. Both Natasha and I had our own personal struggles with mental health in the past, and one of our deepest desires is to try and find more integrative ways that we can access nourishing and nurturing our health from all standpoints, whether we're talking physical, mental, or even emotional. And today's guest really helps us dive into this topic in a really powerful way. She brought in some profound insights that I haven't heard talked about before. And for me, they really helped a lot of these pieces of the mind-body connection and my relationship to it click in a new way. So I'm really excited to introduce Erica Hornthal. Erica is a licensed clinical professional counselor and board-certified dance movement therapist. She is currently the CEO of Chicago Dance Therapy, the premier dance movement therapy practice in the Midwest, and in her 10-plus years of experience, she's worked with thousands of patients ranging from ages 3 to 107. Wowza! She is dedicated to changing the way people see movement in relationship to mental health. And I'm sure you're already getting a sense of why she's such a powerful guest in context of this month's theme. Some of the things we talked about were how dance movement therapy differs from traditional talk therapy and the ways in which it can actually be so much more powerful a system, a practice to be able to actually integrate our mental health in a more nourishing and beneficial way. We also dove into the dialogue around the the body-mind connection, specifically taking a look at body-mind communication. And I found this to be such a light bulb moment because we really got into how this concept of how our mind and body communicate is the foundational piece of establishing a solid mind-body connection. And if we don't understand or know how to tap into that communication, then being connected to our mind-body is not necessarily so easy. And finally, one of the overarching themes we kept coming back into over the course of this episode was the importance of letting your body into the conversation, whether that is letting your body into the conversation around what's going on mentally and emotionally for you, and just giving yourself the space to touch base with your body at various moments in your day-to-day life, whether it is with stuff that's going on in work or even in relationship to your movement practice. And one of my favorite parts of this episode was when Erica actually leads us through a few movement-based practices she uses in her clinical therapy setting. And it was so fascinating for me to notice what was shifting within my body as a result of these movement practices. So I hope you guys enjoy playing around with those a bit for yourself. I hope you guys enjoy tuning into this episode as much as I did recording it. It was so much fun. I'm so grateful to Erica for coming on and sharing all of her wisdom and insights with us. So without further ado, I'm going to let this episode speak for itself, and I'm going to let you 
you guys tune in and enjoy. Erica, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. I'm really excited to dig into more of your work together. Me too. I'm really excited to be here and to have this really deep, what I feel like already will be a really deep, rich, meaningful conversation. Yes. So let's get started with the big kahuna, which is your story. Where did your movement journey begin and how did it lead you into your work as a dance therapist today? I think there's two stories. The more general story is dancing at three, growing up, always moving, always dancing at local studios, going off to high school, dancing in high school, getting to the point of like, what am I going to do with my life? What career do I want to go down? And going to the big open gym career fair and seeing one dance career represented. And that was dance studio owner. Mm. And I was like, Oh God, that's my only option. Cause that's, ah, I'm just not feeling it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't thinking of like opening a studio or anything. And I didn't have the skill set. I don't think to, to teach. It just wasn't a passion of mine. So I went off to college, um, initially declared as a dance major. I didn't start in a program that needed uh, an audition up front. You kind of went in for four to six months and then were evaluated. And it was in college where during that kind of evaluation period, my head advisor mentioned dance movement therapy. She saw that I was taking psychology and obviously loved dance and right until that point, I had never heard of it before. I'd never heard of dance movement therapy. I don't even think I'd really heard the words dance and therapy ever used together either. I was familiar with chocolate therapy, retail therapy, <laughs> um, certainly, you know, like talk therapy, psychotherapy. But so, so that was kind of the traditional path. And I feel like what's really brought me here now was realizing that through that whole upbringing movement is what kept me going. And it wasn't just dance. It wasn't just skill. It wasn't just choreography. It was literally what kept me moving through challenging and difficult times. So my family moved um, a couple times because of my dad's job and, um, you know, moving away from family, re-entering or entering into a new culture sometimes in terms of school, in terms of socioeconomic, in terms of geography, what was very challenging and, and rightly so, I think was made, just paved the way for my resilience by the way I kept moving through that. You know, I could go to the dance studio and that was constant. Being in my body was constant. It was terrifying at times, very anxiety provoking, but it was really what kept me going. And so as I've grown into this work and, and you know, writing and kind of doing my own field research in a sense, that's really what stuck out for me. And I think that's what brings me here. That's, that's why I do what I do. And that's why I want to continue to educate on the power of not just dance movement therapy, but like movement for mental health. Yes, that resonates for me so deeply on so many levels with my own personal experience as a young dancer immediately connecting to this medium as something beyond like the pirouettes and tutus and really this source of constant 
support whenever I needed it, you know, to be able to go to the studio to move through my emotions and to get that catharsis to find that relief and clarity and to, you know, soothe heartbreak or frustration. That all resonates for me because it was so potent in my experience. And another point I want to dig into a little bit more is just like you mentioned, when we talk about therapy, there's so many other avenues we associate that word or that practice with. And it's so rare to actually see it through the lens of movement and dance in particular. So I would love to dig into what differentiates dance and movement therapy from these other forms of therapy, specifically talk therapy, that we're more used to seeing? Oh, that's the million dollar question. (laughs) That's really difficult, right? (laughs) Because while um, while there are differentiating factors, I think what underlies all of that is just that dance is healing, you know? And so even as a dance movement therapist, I'm never on a platform suggesting that we know all, you know, that we're the end all be all, that dance therapy reigns supreme. I love it. I value it. And I think it's very, very important to healing our psyche and, and our, you know, our minds as obviously our bodies as well. But so I think that that, I don't know, I just always feel the need to say that because there has been harm in the past where, and probably will continue to be in certain circles where it's, it feels territorial, you know? So we know that dance is healing. We know that it's been around since the beginning of time, right? And there's some universality in expressing ourselves through unwritten word, unspoken word, and just letting our bodies do the talking, So I think at the heart of it, that is why it's necessary. And yet, like you mentioned, it's undervalued. You know, we see it as an aesthetic. We see the body as adjunct, you know, that, well, let me show you a set of choreography or let's, let's dance our emotions. And that can be cathartic for some, but we're really talking, I should say, speak for myself. I'm really talking about bringing 80 plus percent, I think 93% actually of our communication into the therapy space because such a small percentage of how we express ourselves is through tone and actual words. And yet when you're in a traditional talk therapy setting, that's what's valued most. And understandably, but our words and our minds can contort reality. We can talk ourselves out of things. The body is where we hold our truth. The body knows everything. <laughs> yes. Um, hence the podcast, right? Yes. <laughs> and so, so it just makes sense to me. And I, I get I get a little uh, feedback, to say the least, maybe criticism when I say this. But on some level, I really feel like talk therapy is obsolete. You know, that we're realizing that we can't just talk about our problems anymore. They live in our body and we have to feel them. We have to feel our way through to think our way out. And so I just think it's necessary. I just think it's necessary to bring movement, which is kind of the core component of dance. You know, dance comes with its own stigma. But again, at the heart of it, I really feel like it is our innate need to express, right? It's it's how we cry. It's how we rejoice. It's how we celebrate. It's how we grieve. And even if you don't realize that or don't feel like that's true for you, I guarantee it is. You're just not connected to your body in a way that allows you to understand how your body 
expresses those things or holds on to those things. Or you just may not have the awareness of it, right? Just just right. because you aren't aware of gravity all the time doesn't mean it's not working on you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? And, and in many exactly. ways, the things that are most unconditional and permanent, we have the least awareness of be- because of that unconditionality. And, you know, I, I have some, I'm somebody who went through extensive talk therapy for over seven years. And I'm very blessed to have been able to do that. It offered me so many resources. But I will say that there were many times where I could feel how my brain and like my intellectual and analytical and and even like emotional sides were getting in the way of what this process was trying to do. And I... I really resonate with what you said about, you know, how much stake we put into communication when our verbal communication is really such a small percentage of how we are actually communicating and interpreting the world around us. And really the greater uh, percentage of that is coming through our body. It is coming through like how we hold ourselves, how we feel with it, how we are responding to the circumstances, events, and people around us. And I will say that as a dancer growing up, I was fascinated watching this from, you know, my teens into my late 20s, how time and time again, I saw this pattern of how dancers were in many ways some of the most emotionally intelligent, articulate, and um, expressive people when it came to being able to use words to articulate how they felt and to authentically express what they were going through. And to me, it wasn't a coincidence that these people who had devoted so much time to being in their body, to really excavating it, to playing with it, getting curious and creative and and allowing themselves to feel the fullness of those sensations that there was this direct link between that deep practice and then how they were able to interpret and integrate and understand what was happening within their consciousness, within their body-mind as a result. And so, you know, I, I don't think that you're wrong when you make the statement of therapy or talk therapy maybe not being enough. Like, I sincerely feel it is not enough. It is a part of the piece, but I think there's so many other parts of that puzzle we are missing that actually help to shape what talk therapy could be offering us. And the work of connecting with our body and understanding that link between the body-mind is such an essential piece that we are more often than not leaving out of the equation. Yeah, and honestly, to, to answer, I, I, I myself got off on a tangent because obviously we're so passionate about this work. And I think just to come back to your original question of, so what sets dance therapy apart, you know, mm. or dance movement therapy from these other practices to me is, is the relationship, you know, mm-hmm. is that word therapy and that therapy isn't just what makes you feel good, right? It's not that we're just dancing to feel good because God only knows my clients don't always feel good when we're moving together. Mm-hmm. I think, again, there's release and there's catharsis and there's growth, which down the road can feel whatever quote good is, right? Yeah. 
but it's really about being in relation with someone, you know, um, we can do a lot of this healing and movement work in other ways, individually or in a group, it can be more therapeutic than it is therapy, but it's really about that relationship being witnessed, validated, seen in relation with someone else who is not there to tell you how to move Mm. or what it even looks like or feels like. It's somebody there to act as a mirror and to help you guide this, this process, you know, Mm. of just noticing, like you said, being aware, what do you notice in your body? What comes up in your body and, and creating a safe container or a safe space for you to at least have the ability to explore that. Yeah. Um, that to me is, is the heart or, or a main piece certainly of, of dance movement therapy. It's that, it's that relational piece for sure. Mm. Yeah. And what, what are some other differentiating factors in like a dance movement therapy session that you would not see in a traditional talk therapy session? I mean, one that, that real intention of bringing the body into the room, you know, so gosh, I think about how with, with my clients in particular, just giving them the opportunity to choose where they'd like to be. So not even just sitting, it's not just like, would you like to sit in this chair or would you like to sit in this sofa? <laughs> but, um, would you like to lay on the floor? Would you like to sit in the corner? Would you like to stand, you know, giving people the opportunity to move in the session isn't just about dancing. It's about recognizing what my body needs to even verbally express or, or open up um, in sometimes the most vulnerable moments. Mm. So it just literally inviting the body in, you know, just wondering like, what is happening right now? What do you feel when you just spoke about that? Or, or I can even say like, I just, I noticed something in that moment you know, and the, and the person can say, oh, I, I got a chill, you know, or mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm just, uh, you know, have an itch. Okay, great. No, no problem. But sometimes that's an impulse. Sometimes it's, it's a, it's a body reaction to something that's being said and just having somebody not call it out in a, you know, um, certainly not in like a shaming way or, you know, or like, what was that about? Right, yeah. right. Like, what was that about? What just happened? <laughs> Um, but just, Hey, I'm, I'm noticing this. Do you feel that within yourself? Also as the therapist in the room, I can notice what comes up in my own body. You know, mm. so we talk about this kinesthetic empathy. Um, there's also somatic countertransference, like the therapist's ability to be in their own body in relation to the client. Not that the therapy is about us, but we can say, you know, gosh, you just said that. And I felt it here. Or this mm. is my embodied response to what you just said. And having the client witness that is something I think that's um, inherent to dance movement therapy. Not that other therapists aren't doing that, but it's that's something that's definitely taught in the curriculum that I know isn't taught in all curriculums. Yeah. Um, so I think those are some things that, for me, really set the practice apart and, and set, um, you know, create those niche pieces of dance movement therapy, if you will. Hmm. Well, this piece about recognizing these little shifts that may happen, you know, and taking a moment to acknowledge them, you know, and sort of like see them in that moment is so important. 
and, and this is a big piece of what I really strive to teach with people as well, is to to notice these subtleties because in my experience, a big reason why we are so disconnected from our bodies at large or why we struggle to really, you know, have this dynamic relationship with our bodies, understanding it as a part of us, is because we are failing to register the sensations that are coming in all the time until eventually they're muted, you know, where they're coming in and people a, aren't observing them just because they've been used to not, or B, don't even register them because they've spent so long not paying attention to them. We're conditioned and taught as young children very early on to be disassociating from those messages. So taking those moments to come back to that recognition, to that space of holding is so important. And the more we can learn to do that, like you mentioned, without judgment, without it being that sort of accusatory or critical response, but really just to see, to take note and and to take in whatever is coming through the body and, and being registered through your system. This is such a powerful step in service of being with ourselves, which then paves the way for us to be able to take care of ourselves and then nourish and nurture ourselves. Yeah. And this was a previous conversation we had, but I remember we kind of geeked out a little bit about neuroscience and, you know, just understanding that it, it really is the need for our bodies to be comfortable. You know, we want to be safe and oftentimes the dissociation, the disconnection is the safer option because we're, it's comfortable, it's familiar, you know, and rather than throw ourselves in discomfort or unfamiliarity, we perpetuate these really negative, healthy, sorry, negative, unhealthy coping strategies to continue the comfort, you know, so it's like, what's the same, uh, short, long-term, short-term gain, long-term pain, you know, it's kind of like, we'd rather just feel comfortable, you know, forever than endure a little bit of discomfort, even though it's really intense to be able to shift through those places later on, you know, to create transition. And, um, you know, I love to say like change your movement to change your mind. So can we look at the way we move our body subtleties or otherwise these big, these big movements even that happen, um, as opportunities to build resilience and to to even enhance the way we connect to you know our our cognition, yeah. So I, I mean, yeah, we could have this. We could. I mean, I'm, I'm ready day, to spiral right? out. <laughs> I, I mean, this this gets me so excited because what you just brought up this resistance to being able to embrace discomfort. I'm always fascinated by this because when it comes to the body, we struggle to embrace that level of discomfort initially to be able to move in a new way to open up a new connection with our bodies and ourselves. But then on the mental and emotional side, we seem to be perfectly comfortable staying in the loops of of these emotional frequencies or states of being that maybe aren't serving us, whether it's an anxiety loop or a stress loop, you know, or a frustration loop. 
And I, I know there is so much that goes on neurologically and even biochemically with this process, like especially our endocrine system that's responding to that and how it can almost become an addiction biochemically. So it's harder to break. But it, it is fascinating to me that where we are willing to withstand discomfort and that on the mental and emotional side, we seem much more equipped at staying in it for longer periods of time than we want than we are with our bodies. And what's fascinating is, is when we allow ourselves to gain familiarity with the discomfort through the body, I have found it such a powerful portal to then allow us to be able to make these quicker shifts out of these, quote unquote, more negative uh, states of being or emotions that we are in in our minds more often and be able to switch out of them more effectively as a result. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, it's like just at the heart of it, like that word transition, you know, kind of comes to mind or keeps coming up. And can we... And I guess this is also like for me in my practice where dance movement therapy really blossoms is this metaphor, you know, can we use these big themes and use the body as a metaphor for that? You know, so how do we move a transition? How do we move change? You know, how do I use my body to embrace change if it's just physical change, right? Literally getting up from one side of the room and walking to the other, taking a closed fist and creating an open palm. You know, these are very tangible, visceral ways that we can, and even just, you know, witnessing it ourselves of like, oh, I created change. You know, it's, it's fleeting and and it's just situational, but that's where everything starts. You know, it's just the potential, like seeing that we, that change is possible. So, and yes, how, how we can convince ourselves, you know, to almost stay in the intense emotional discomfort just to assuage the body. (laughs) <laughs> right. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. well, my body feels better here, but my mind is out of control. You yeah. know? <laughs> so it's like, but if we just kind of brought the alignment in, you know, we found a way for them to communicate together because they're already connected. It can work in your favor, you know, and yeah. you can really learn to harness your, your mental space and capacity by, by using uh, the body and movement. Yeah. I remember, in our first conversation together, one of the things you said that still has stuck with me so deeply is, you know, when we're trying to approach health and well-being, we're usually doing it from this top-down method, right, mentally first. Uh, and what your work really does is it speaks to more like coming in through the body, the bottom up. And it's not to say that any one of these is better than the other. It's just at certain circumstances in your life, one may actually be serving you better. You may find that that bottom up strategy is actually so much easier and so much more useful for you, you know, and, and can and just have so much less resistance than always coming at it through the same angle. Yeah. And, you know, whether it's dance movement therapy, body centered psychotherapy, somatic therapy, the idea is that, well, I guess I see kind of a parallel process, right? So that it's not just coming into the body and working our way up, but it's also starting from the bottom processes of the brain, you know? So tapping into the brainstem, then going up through the limbic system, then going up into the neocortex where the higher thinking is happening. So I Can you actually break down like those areas of the brain and what they do for us? Sure. So, I mean, 
I always like to make it super digestible. I don't want to, you know, some people are like we talked about love neuroscience and want to hear about it at the heart of it though. Our basic movements, let's say our breath, our heartbeat, those are regulated by the lower regions of the brain, right? Kind of like that, that brainstem. Then it kind of moves up into what we call like this limbic system where it's more connected to our emotions, right? Sometimes like we'll, we'll hear about like fear center in terms of like the amygdala, hippocampus with memory. These are more sensory based, I would say. This is kind of where we take those experiences and, and, and so to speak, create emotions, right? Or emotions are created from those experiences. And then eventually it moves up to the top where we have those logical reasonings, right? So in terms of, I work a lot with individuals that have dementia. These are the parts that are sometimes inaccessible or certainly diminished in capacity, So I find that coming into those lower regions where we're tapping into our movements, our heartbeat, our inherent rhythm, whether it's through music or otherwise, we tap into the first experiences. We tap into the the primitive part of our brain that were, you know, that was formed first. And through that, we can actually sometimes access higher cognition. We can move together for 30 minutes or so or less sometimes and then have really deep, meaningful conversations because we've sparked all this connection. Movement also, uh, so I'm remembering like the body keeps the score. Vander Kolk says, you know, that uh, the right brain is actually what forms first. And oddly enough, that's where a lot of creativity is, right? Where a lot of movement is based. So if we can tap into the right brain, we can actually cross over that corpus callosum to the left hemisphere and create more cognition. So we can process what we're ha- you know what we're feeling. We can talk about what we're feeling. We can not just sing, but we can like create the music, you know, we can do these more again cognitive processes. So whether you're looking at from like a bottom up or literally like kind of a side to side processing, movement is what creates those synapses, I think. It's really just what gets the the energy flowing and continues to create change and growth in places where sometimes we feel we don't have, again, the words to say it, or we can't get out of our head enough to feel what we need to feel. We're just stuck. Like you said, those loops, we're just stuck in the, the overthinking, the spiraling, which obviously has an impact on our body. But if we're not aware of it, we can't even go back into the body to try to regulate those systems. Mm, yeah, I, you know, that's been such an important recognition for me because I, I can get very heady. You know, it's it's so interesting to me when people talk to me like, yeah, you know, you're so embodied, and I'm like. But at the same time, it's crazy town in my brain. Like it takes a lot of sincere focus and effort to make sure that I don't let that take the wheel of like my body mind engine because it often will try. And when it does, I can feel how distorted my sense of clarity and coherence is, you know, energetically, physically, mentally, and emotionally as well. And so for me, it's been a consistent relearning process, learning how to come back into my body and really feeding these habits and rituals and behaviors into my day-to-day, especially in quarantine when my whole life got upturned and switched from, you know, body practices to the screen. 
to be able to keep coming back to the body because like what you said, like I have found so many times that the body's been the way where I find that stability. It just gives me this reset in a quick, effective, and accessible way that no other medium has done for me. Yeah, yeah. I I resonate so deeply with that because I'm the same way. I'm very heady and, um, you know, I think it's ironic. Like I always say for dance therapists, I end up talking a lot, either with my own therapist or with my clients, but it is, it's a constant practice. And I feel like uh, more recently, I, I wrote about not just the mind-body connection, but mind-body communication, and that we have to really identify for ourselves which is our first language. Is headspace your first language? Is body your first language? Even though, again, universally, we're all in our bodies to begin with. As we as we get older and we kind of find this, you know, inclination right to be in our head versus to process in our bodies first. I find it's kind of like a second language. I have to be really intentional with how I translate and that, yes, it's, it feels like it goes into my head first, which, I mean, we know that our body is experiencing it, not even simultaneously, but sometimes way before our brain has, but for me to say like, okay, wait, this is happening in my head. I feel it in my mind, wherever that is. I need to intentionally bring it into my body and have that translation. And then sometimes I can express it or sometimes I have to kind of translate it back. I had a client once say, I've had a couple clients say this, but one very so eloquently said, like, it's like my brain speaks Mandarin and my body speaks German. (laughs) You know, it's like, they don't know how to communicate. They don't, they're not listening to one another, you know? And so how can we intentionally create communication between the two, you know? And, either teach both the other language or create some new language, you know, mm. where both, both understand. Hopefully that makes sense. It's, it's a work yes. in progress, but no, no, I actually it lives in me. So I really love that. I think it's such a beautiful way of helping people see the dimensionality of communication and the language of our bodies. Cause I speak about this all the time, right? That sensation is the body's language. And even, you know, as a teacher and as a steward of the Evolna practice, I, I really try to not tell people like specifically what sensations mean what, because I'm aware that my language of sensation, as I've learned to interpret it through my body, will likely not be the same for other bodies. And I I don't want to interfere in that process of people learning to bridge that gap and to start finding that coherence. But I think it's so important to recognize like the difference between the mind-body connection and then think about, okay, there's this connection. What does that communication look like? And to even have that awareness that your client had, like, oh, one is Mandarin and one is German. This is this is like a misfire. Now that I'm seeing this, what steps can I take to bring it back together? And this actually leads me into one of my other questions I had for you today. I would love if you could actually lead us through some very simple practices that are sort of your bread and butter with your clientele to help us tap into this mind-body connection and and already start accessing the wisdom of our bodies right here, right now. So I have a few like that are kind of in my in my brain right now. And I guess I feel the need to say that while these are things that I might use a lot in my practice, 
again, they're informed from other practices too, you know? So I realized that as people are listening, they might, you know, they might wonder like, oh, wait, that's not inherent to dance therapy. I did that with my, you know, my dance teacher. Oh, I, I've heard of that before. So again, I encourage people to understand that it's like, like you mentioned, it's all within kind of what happens in your own body. And then that ability to reflect with someone about that, you know, or to be in relation to that. So these are all things that people can do on their own. And if you're looking for more like deepening or processing around it, that's when you can look to, to do it with someone, you know, or, or in relation in that therapy aspect. So, so how, how I always start and sometimes end with clients as well is bringing them through almost like an adapted version of, of Laban's dimensional scale. So Rudolf Laban coined a movement analysis. Again, that was borrowed from a lot of other influences I'm not a, a movement, a certified movement analyst, but I find a lot of value in bringing people in these three dimensions. And so we talk about vertical, horizontal, and something called sagittal, which is really just a forward and a back, kind of thinking like a, like a wheel on a car. And so I invite people to try those dimensions themselves. So that can look like, you know, whatever your abilities are, if it's reaching up into the space above you reaching down into the space below you. Again, whether you're sitting, you could be laying down, you could be standing, but that's that vertical space, you know, up and down and just noticing familiarity, discomfort, how accessible this is and what, if any parts of you are activated psychologically, physically, emotionally, as you engage in this, in this plane. Traditionally, that plane tends to be about self core values, belief system. I haven't been able to myself find disparity between cultures or races. I'm, while I'm not doing like formal research around that, I'm always like interested to have that conversation. So I feel like that can be a very universal approach to just tapping into self. It's also how we developmentally move as we age, right? Exploring spine, core distal connection, reaching from self to other so again, it all comes down to what you said, kind of our own experience, our own sensations. So while I don't want to qualify that completely, that is that does tend to be what comes up in that plane. Hmm. Horizontal would be, you know, this idea of kind of reaching out um, versus coming in. So kind of like a self-hug. Um, hmm. I always like to say with my older adult clients, I always say, give a hug, get a hug. <laughs> you know, like what would it look like to give yourself a hug? And what does it look like when you want a hug from someone? Typically yeah. you open your arms or you extend them out to the side. Mm. And again, what does this mean? I've had clients totally physically able, neurotypical, cannot reach out because just being in presence with someone or in relation with someone else, it's such a vulnerable space to be in that the idea of really opening the heart um, is, is just too difficult you know, at least when we first start out. So letting yourself, again, connect to what is possible in the moment through the body. And then sagittal, which is, um, again, this forward and back motion. So it can kind of, in Zoom land, it looks like everybody's Superman, kind of like flying <laughs> through the, the sky. <laughs> um, but so much comes up for people in this plane. Uh, it, again, tends to be about action, but what does that even mean? You know, and I think that's where culture and race can kind of differentiate, right? Like what is my cultural connection to taking action or stepping back? Is this confrontation? Is this 
witnessing? Is this collective? Is this, you know, individual? Those are going to differ, obviously. But so, again, is this dance therapy specific? No, but a lot of dance therapy has been informed by these, these pieces of movement analysis. Another thing which I love uh, people to explore, I already mentioned, is kind of just like this idea of change, you know? So can you change the posture of your body? Can you go from, you know, like closed fist to an open palm, play with the timing, how slow you do it, how fast you do it, which is easier for you? Do you like being closed? Do you like being open? Again, finding these metaphors, these nuances. And I almost feel like you might, you did I, I might've seen this on your Instagram, but this is something that I invite my clients to do a lot of, again, in relationship is moving from body versus moving from mind. So if I give myself a minute or two to move from my head, right? My head says, move your shoulders. I move my shoulders. My head says, reach out your arms. I reach out my arms versus being in this very authentic, in a sense, place of just letting the body move. And can we not judge, right? How quick is the mind to get in there and be like, oh, that was wrong. Oh, that was bad. That oh, looks you can't silly. Do that. <laughs> right, right. You look ridiculous. Stop you look it. ridiculous. What are you doing? You know, um, yeah. and certainly not in front of a mirror, you know, yeah. walk away from that mirror. <laughs> I don't want to see it. You know, it's all these judgments that come up. So I, I, again, could like give so many different interventions and oftentimes they're just in the moment, you know, it's, it's what I resonate with in my body as I'm working with a client, because those three examples could work for some people. And depending on what we're talking about or what comes up in the moment could in a sense, really lead us down a a really dark hole that we're not ready to go down. Mm -hmm. So it's really about gauging what not just giving the client agency over what is possible for them, but sometimes we don't know, you know, we jump into something without realizing the safety factor. And so also being present to like what, um, how ready someone can be or, or what, what we really need to do in the moment to get to even just the short-term goal for one session, you know? Yeah. Even just registering, like what starts to come up when you start, you know, using these, techniques. You know, like you mentioned how some people can't actually open up sideways for like that heart opening. Like there's a, they're just not ready there. You know, that's, that's really powerful information to come into. And then how do you choose to move forward and negotiate that now with that new level of awareness that you mentioned the moving from the body. This was always so fascinating to me how despite all my time in this space of like trusting my body and learning to lean into how that negative judgment, criticism, that voice always comes up. There, She never really goes away. And there's times where she's a lot more vocal and scary than others. But learning how to be with that part of myself that jumps in is like, you look dumb. Like, what are you doing? And meanwhile, I'm alone. Nobody's around me. Like, this is for me. And it it was such a powerful recognition of, oh my goodness, like these thoughts, these programs, these habituated ways of seeing myself are so ingrained that even when I put all the circumstances into play and craft that space for me to just be me, there is a piece that doesn't allow me to go there. 
holy crap. Like, so if, if in the optimal circumstance that is getting in the way, how often is, are these pieces getting in my way of like me being my most integrated, happy and fulfilled self? Well, it's a lot. And I think for me personally, this is why this practice of like connecting to our bodies and giving ourselves that permission to let our bodies move in whatever way they want is so imperative because it's also rewiring our brain. It's dismantling the beliefs, perceptions, the limitations that are holding us back so that we can actually be the unique, wonderful, brilliant individuals we are meant to be and live in that space and be able to assert ourselves, take care of ourselves and, you know, embody the greatest expression of our joy, our pleasure, all the things we came here to experience. Yeah. And that piece is so important because, and one of the reasons that you can end up being in talk therapy for so long and not actually have permanent sustained change or transformation, you know, we can rewire the thoughts in a sense, right? Like I can think of another, so I can challenge the negative self-talk, let's say as an example, right? Instead of always going to the judgment or, or that negative headspace, I can train myself to think more positively, right? I can use affirmations and, and I can talk myself out of those habits. Top down. But right, top down. But what is your body doing? Because you might be thinking more positively, but if your body hasn't changed and now granted, you know, there are things that suggest kind of like this idea of power posing, right? That if we can, you know, kind of temporarily change the movement, then we can change the mind and vice versa. Um, if I say it enough, my body will reflect it, but that takes a long time as opposed to the bottom up, which is like, if I start in the body, I could actually create transformation faster. Not that we're looking for fast results, but I've had people say like, you uncovered more in one session than I have in 10 years of therapy, you know? And it was just from looking at how I move. I mean, not that I'm, not that I'm reading them, but like we, we invite that into the space and they uncover like, oh my God, I've wanted to be more open my whole life. And how am I supposed to do that? If my body posture is always closed, you know? And it's not just about switching out of it. It's like intentionally understanding why we do that and then finding ways to literally transform the way we move so that it's permanent or sustained. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing. I mean, that's why when we go into the body, sometimes people say, I feel worse, right? Like I, I feel immense pain. I feel immense everything, you know? And it's like, yeah, because you're opening up yourself to something you really maybe have never felt before. You know, um, we've talked about how I would say the, the body holds answers to questions the mind doesn't even know to ask, you know, and if you stay in the head all the time, you're not even opening yourself up to these big questions, these big themes, these big thoughts. And so you open them up in the body. Not only is it, is it amazing because you have all this wisdom and knowledge, but it's scary. It's really intense. And that's usually when you know you're doing something right. <laughs> well, I love that you mentioned that because this was probably the most eye-opening moment in my practice as a teacher, as a, as a coach, as a trainer, was recognizing that I'd had this very unique 
tapped in, tuned in experience of listening to my body sensations my whole life. So I had a lot of comfort there. But for many people, when you start to take them down that journey and actually ask them to look at those sensations, look for them, to feel them, every single one feels completely disarming. Like none of them necessarily feel good at first. And that was really surprising to me, but I think it was such an essential moment as a teacher to to experience and to understand that, yes, if you've spent a lot of time out of your body, disassociated, it you will not necessarily feel good. You're getting recalibrated to a whole new language. Like, to use your metaphor, I used to use this for people. It's like, imagine you spoke French your whole life and suddenly you're thrown into like needing to know Swahili and that's the only language coming at you. You're not necessarily going to be in the most relaxed place dealing with that. You know, it's going to feel incredibly overwhelming, but over time, you're going to start to see a rhythm, a flow. There's going to be coherence. Things are going to start to make sense. And then you'll start to feel more relaxed and open in that process. So I think it's really important for people listening to understand that if you have this desire to get connected with your body, but when you're going in, it doesn't really feel good. It feels disorienting and scary and intense, like you mentioned, that that might actually be a really good sign. There's, it's just like a matter of dosing it, right? Like allowing yourself those little bits, like not trying to pressure yourself to go too far and understanding this is a process. And the more time you spend connecting with it in these ways and really allowing yourself to be present, then like it'll start to gain momentum. It'll start to feel more fluid and fluent. And like you said, this is such a key way to accelerate a lot of those changes we want to make in service of ourselves. It's really powerful stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of, I, I kind of, I still laugh when I say this, but, but there's a lot of truth to it. I've said several times like in, in sessions and, and with clients who are like, oh, I took up yoga or I tried that first. And I always say, well, even yoga triggers anxiety, you know, because even something we think of as being maybe calming or centering or grounding, if we don't know what that is or how to do it, or we move more, we will feel more. Right. And, and that doesn't just mean we're going to feel better. It doesn't just mean we're going to be like, oh man, I feel so grounded now because you're opening yourself up. You're moving in different ways that aren't certainly aren't always going to be comfortable. And then it floods our system with a lot of different sensations and emotions. And we can get more triggered than maybe we, we were in the beginning because, well, we weren't tuned into our body at all, you know? So, um, I think I I say that too, because just because something is uncomfortable doesn't mean we should immediately shy away from it, but you might also find that you need some assistance with that, you know, and remember that a lot of these body practices aren't coming from us. You know, if you go to a class, somebody's placing those movements on you. And do we have the ability to differentiate what's good for us in the moment and what isn't, you know, that you can engage in different body practices. I can even go to a dance class, right? I've been dancing my whole life, but if something at at this point of the game, if something doesn't feel right or look right, I have the power to say, I need a break or I'm going to go to the bathroom right now, or, 
I'm going to adapt that, you know, I can't do that triple turn anymore. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do a single pirouette. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's, it's, again, there's ideally there's not a judgment because Mm. maybe 20 years ago, I hate to say that because I'm like, Oh my God, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. How about that? (laughs) If I hadn't done a triple pirouette, I I judge myself, right? Oh, everybody else is doing it. Oh, you can't keep up. Oh, they're so much better than you. As opposed to now, I'm like, you know what? That doesn't feel good for me. I'm not balanced right now. I'm not going to be able to do that. And I'd rather empower myself to to ground and be centered and controlled in my body and then see what potential comes from that, right? And oddly enough, it's those places when all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, where did that turn come from? Yes, you know, and I think it's especially relevant when we're talking about fitness classes. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a trainer certified in like 12 different modalities and I hated 99% of any group fitness class I went to because I always felt that the it was too much at too high of an intensity and that a lot of the things I was being asked to do and push myself in like I couldn't maintain proper form. Like I couldn't create the coherence and and push myself within that container of the safety that I deemed was necessary. And here I was, somebody by all intensive purposes, fit, athletic, strong, capable. And I was always having to scale down to something like 60 or 50% of what the instructor was asking. And I was thinking to myself, geez, if I'm having to do this and like, this is my like vast array of experience. And like, I feel like a little bit intimidated doing this in this space. Like I can't imagine what it's like for people who don't have that same depth of learning and knowledge underneath like their relationship to their bodies and and that that level of mastery and practice of like continuing to learn these movement patterns and progressions and and then going to the space and then just feeling like if you're not doing it you're failing. Like you have to do it at all costs and then you have burnout, you have over-exercising, you've got injuries, right? Then you have metabolic issues arise because people are essentially taught in that space, don't listen to your body. You got to push past anything that you feel in order to get any shred of those benefits that are going to give you the happiness and like the sense of self-confidence you came here for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are all just like super important pieces. And, you know, just what comes to mind again is, is, like we know that we need to be in our bodies in terms of like uh, cardiovascular health, right? Mm. We, we know we need to exercise and, and that's, that tends to be, I don't want to say where it stops, but where we focus, you yeah. know, and there's a deeper piece, right? Because it's like, well, I run, I, I'm not me. I, I don't run unless somebody's chasing me, but <laughs> if somebody <laughs> says like, I run, I'm a runner. Yeah. Um, you might want to look at why why do you run? Right. And if you, if it's kind of, there are lots of different reasons, right. But we can end up perpetuating those things we're trying to, to overcome by the way we move, you know? So I'm trying to, um, I'm, I, I'm just starting to notice that I'm, I'm in a trauma response. Right. And my, my response is to, is to flee, is to run when I'm frightened. And maybe my running is actually perpetuating that. Right. That doesn't mean that you can't run. I don't want people to think like, oh my God, I have to stop. It's just noticing like, 
can I run from a place of calm? Can I run while I'm grounded or am I perpetuating this trauma response? Again, as an example, um, that's very different than running for mental and physical wellness. Um, we tend to align our, our movements with what our nervous system is, is used to, you know? So, um, the same thing can be said the other way, you know, um, there are people I think that, that have difficulty exerting, right. Or have difficulty in that, um, well, I'll just initiating. use the word exerting, initiating, yeah. motivate. Yeah. 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 Um, and so maybe I only do calmer, lower intensity exercise, um, because, pushing myself into a, into some exertion, or like you said, like a really intense initiation also makes my nervous system go haywire, you know? So just looking, I, I use the term diversifying our movement, you know, can we explore different rhythms and intensities within even exercise to create, I guess, resilience in a sense for our nervous system, you know, and regulation, so that we're not always doing the same exercise all the time, but maybe one day I do low intensity, one day I'm doing high intensity. One day I go for a walk around the garden, another day I, you know, sprint around my neighborhood. It's so important to build in these different movement experiences into our bodies because those get translated to the mind. I love that you filter that through the lens of, you know, what what is my nervous system getting? Like what, what type of stimulus am I offering my nervous system depending on what kind of exercise I'm preferencing? I think that is so powerful. I've never heard it phrased that way before. And I love that because usually when we're thinking about how intense we're going to work out, it's about like, how are we going to push our strength or our endurance? You know, like what are the gains going to be? And I've had that where I'm like, if I'm not sore the next day, I didn't do enough. Yeah. (laughs) But like like the diversity for our nervous system, right? Mm -hmm. Like, are we entering movement practices that allow us to be slower and softer? Are we also allowing ourselves to explore that like heat, that intensity, that push, you know, like, and, and are we, in a safe enough space in our body, paying attention to this body-mind communication that we can actually be exploratory in this process, curious about it, and not layering in past trauma or pain or should and supposed to into that process that's actually inhibiting what we could be getting out of that movement richness in the moment. Mm. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Thank you for saying it that way. No, it, it, I mean, it, it makes sense to me on so many levels. And, um, and yet sometimes I feel like in this realm an outcast because it's, it's not what we tend to see, you know, it's not a norm, especially like, let's look at COVID, right. It was like, everything's online and quick transition to virtual. And I felt it in myself. I was like, okay, I'm going to my basement and I go do my cardio class and I'll be up in an hour. And I got five minutes into it. And I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> just like, it just, oh, there's so much happening as I was trying. And I realized that I needed to really, well, there was a lot of things that I needed to do, but I was really forcing my body to do something that it was telling me it, it, it didn't really need in that way, you know? And 
yes, dance provides an outlet for me, but it's also about the environment that I'm doing it in and realizing that, wow, this is going to have very counter, this is going to be very counterintuitive and actually create more stress in my body than the stress that I'm trying to release. So it took months, but I finally like figured out other ways of moving, you know, and got myself like to practice what I preach, <laughs> you know, just like, okay, this is different. What are we going to do about it? And it might look different. It might feel different. Maybe I'm not getting the same calorie burn that maybe I was used to, but, but emotionally I feel more stable. And that to me was, was really the number one goal at least, or still is, I should say in this pandemic. Well, I think that's such a beautiful story and, and I'm going to you know, followed up with my own COVID story, which was like, I, I had the opposite response. Like I stopped moving for months. Like I, I did not have it in me to like be doing any of those like at home workout things. And I tried a couple of times and I was just immediately like, no. And as somebody who knows how important movement is, you know, I, I was seeing that my body wanted these like softer spectrum, like my nervous system needed it too, because we were going through this huge scale change. And yes, my body shifted. Maybe I'm not as muscular as I used to be or as strong as I used to be. I'm a little softer now, but I also have been through these cycles enough with my body that I know it adapts quickly and it changes and nothing is permanent. And so if I can let myself lean in to what my body is asking. I'm actually going to get a lot more out of it than just the physical benefits later down. Like you mentioned, I feel so much more level-headed and stable mentally and emotionally than I ever have. And I think a huge part of that was like my body was needing a really massive reset, uh, neurologically, physically speaking, because I'd been in this cycle of just absolute workhorse, like literally dragging my body around New York hours a day, like moving all the time, which I love. But now I have an even greater appreciation for movement in all its forms, whether we're talking like that higher intensity or the subtle. I'm, I'm so much more sensitive to the nuance there and also to my own brain body connection and communication. Yeah. And I think this was the time for a lot of us to, to be able to tap into that we're so used to doing. And I think this time has allowed us to practice being. And for some people that's obviously scary, but it's like, wow, this has really opened my eyes to such a different way of, of moving and living. And, and there's a whole other camp where it's like, I'm just going to find other ways of doing at home, <laughs> you know, like, like maybe it's those at home workouts or, or, I mean, obviously we're all, we're all having to do things for survival, right. For, for nervous system survival, for safety in our own way. So yeah, it's, it's been challenging for so many reasons and yet it's okay to, like you said, notice the responses and, and go with that, you know, that, yeah, it's going to have an effect, but I might see some effects physically, but emotionally, what does that mean? You know, and if I'm softer in my movement or my physicality, right? Maybe that's exactly what my mind needed because this is such a challenging and uncertain time. Yeah. Wow. So much good stuff unearthed here, Erica. Thank you so, so much for your time. Um, we're already at an hour, I believe. So <laughs> let's I know, go. I'm like, oh, we're just like, we just keep going. But it's, it's so much fun to talk to you. And <laughs> I mean, yeah, we just like, we're on the same wavelength. I really love it. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you so much for your expertise, your experience, your insights here. I really loved the uh, little movement progressions you took us through. I'm definitely going to be playing around with those from time to time to sort of feed into where I'm at. And I hope our listeners enjoy them as well. But before we wrap up here, if you have any final words of wisdom you'd like to leave our audience with, I know you already gave us so many. I'd like to leave the floor to you. Yeah, I, I think the one that keeps sticking with me for, for now is is just that idea of feeling our way through to think our way out, you know, and that if you're really trying to find a way to problem solve or to strategize, starting in the brain, in the head, in the mind, whatever that is, might not be the best strategy, Mm. you know, and giving yourself the opportunity to feel what you want to accomplish, to, to feel your way through those stuck places might be just what you need to help Mm. yourself think your way out. I love that. That's perfect. Thank you so, so much for coming on with us. This has been such a pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, it's been great. I really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in with us today. You can find contact information and all references made during the show in the show notes. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and spread the love by sharing with family and friends. If you want to learn more or would like additional support in your movement relationship, head to our website at evolna.com. Be gentle, be generous, and be good to yourself. And have a beautiful day.